Hello and welcome to another Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen Evans. I am delighted to say for the first time since March, I want to say. March. When we were with Norman Whiteside. We are together again, guys. Yeah. Hello. Dream Team's back. Sam and Maisie alongside me. I have to say we were actually together a week ago, but Maisie was... You weren't here. You weren't available that day. So Sam and I have been together, but the first time all of us... Yeah, good to be back. It is. Good to be back at Old Trafford. We are in Old Trafford, Lovely, yes. It? Yeah. yeah. It is nice, nice to be back. Yeah, it's not warm. No. No. But um, yeah, good to see... Good to see faces rather than looking at screens all the time. So it's much is. nicer. It is. Yeah. yeah, and you can also mm-hmm. you can you can have a proper chat and everything. Yeah. Yeah. How was both of your weekends before we start? Uh, yeah, mine was good. I was over in Enniskillen. Near Roy Carroll's next. Near Roy Carroll, yeah. Did five, you phone him? He told you to phone five, him. Five mile town, is it? Five mile town. Yeah. He told you to phone him. I know that was number. Oh my goodness. I know, I forgot. I know. But yeah, so I was over there playing golf. You like golf? Yeah. I love golf. I didn't know that. Sam, how's your arm? Broken. Sam has got a broken elbow, broke? yeah. but it doesn't look broken to me. It doesn't look no. broken to you. Because no uh, it's an elbow, you can't put a cast or anything on it because then you can't move it. You need to keep moving it. Uh, and it's only a tiny break. And um, they said I shouldn't wear the sling unless I have to because the more I move it, the better recovery will be. So it's quite painful. So every now and again, you'll see me do weird little stretches mm. to try and... But it's felt better, if I'm brutally honest. But it's not the end of the world. It's fine. It's just a little broken elbow. I'll get over it. I've got yeah. another one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a chat last week with Seo Ban, as Sam like, referred to her as, mm-hmm. Siobhan Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Um, lovely, lovely chat. She's, really, yeah, really so enjoyed yeah. getting Cheers. to know more about her career. You've actually had a chat with her before. We, we, had, um, we had a run on the, one of the morning chats a few, maybe about five or six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Lovely girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had a really good chat. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, all about her career and how she's developing, and obviously she's now retired. So yeah, it was good. Mm-hmm. I think people will really enjoy this because I think the the Amy Turner episode we got such a good reaction yeah. because obviously the game is the same, but the journey is different, and the the sport is developing so quickly at the minute in terms of sort of media interest and global appeal. And I think um, that people will really enjoy what she has to say as someone who's now retired mm-hmm. and sort of gone through it all she's she's got an incredible career to talk about mm-hmm. incredible career here we are then Maisie this is one for you to enjoy too here's our chat with Siobhan Chamberlain I'm gonna stop cradling my elbow like a weirdo Sam's got a broken elbow but he's just taking a sling off really yeah <laughs> I thought you were exaggerating is that no broken? yeah I broke it last week bloody hell yeah <laughs> I was trying to run through glue Pardon? and I fell over run through glue yeah so there was some glue on the floor and I was sort of challenged to see how far through the glue I could run. <laughs> and I got, my feet got stuck in the glue, but I gave it everything I had. So my momentum no was surprised quite... that feet got stuck. Yeah. In and then I went straight over on, landed on my elbow and I broke it. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, Siobhan Chamberlain, welcome to the United <laughs> podcast. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, one thing that I suspect for your entire life has been slightly annoying, possibly this podcast is listened to all over the world. Your name is not Saiban. No, it's not. <laughs> um, I do get a million different names, especially if I go to Starbucks or Costa. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Sometimes they say, Siobhan, how do you spell that? I'll spell it and it will still get written <laughs> completely differently on the on the cut. But it's interesting. To see it's the inexcusable though, because it's a really common name. 
Well, it kind of is and it isn't. Even my family, I think for my first 10 years of my life, all of my family wrote different spellings of Siobhan. I mean, they could say it right. They didn't say Sayoban. Right. But the spelling was, yeah. yeah. It's interesting that this never even occurred to me because I'm so used to that name. Mm-hmm. Do you have Irish blood? Is that where it's come from? Or? No, but I've got, both my brothers have got Irish names as well. I right. think my parents just liked Irish names. Irish names. Yeah. Yeah. My mum worked in a school with a girl whose name was spelled S-I-A-N. So you'd think it would be Sean. Yeah. But the parents had seen the name in a book and her name was Sian. Interesting. So she had the opposite problem. Yeah. Anyway, how was, uh, <laughs> anyway. how's your lockdown been? Um, busy. Um, obviously had um, Amelia, my baby girl, on the 31st of January. I think it was about, what, four, five, six weeks later on, go into lockdown. So it was an interesting introduction to mm. motherhood. Um, <laughs> it was great to spend so much time with... Obviously, I would have been with her anyway, but my husband... Um, was obviously in lockdown as well and for him to spend that amount that amount of time with her in the first few weeks was was amazing and something that he obviously didn't expect to happen so that, that was pretty special you've also recently decided to retire something you've probably thought about a lot during lockdown did lockdown have an impact on that um thinking i'm enjoying this time at home yes and no i think it was more kind of i always said that i wanted to come back and play i wanted to well, one, prove it to myself. Two, I always wanted Amelia to watch me play. And I physically felt that I was okay and that I'd be able to. And I trained loads in lockdown. We had like a little mini gym in the garage and I started running and doing all the kind of strength and conditioning side of it. And my, my body actually felt fine. Um, I did a bit of pre-season with, with a club over the, over the summer and physically I felt okay, but I couldn't commit to missing that much time with Amelia and being a professional footballer it's not a easy schedule everything changes and they're long days and travel days and I've always been the priority in my family and I've always kind of well my husband's always up ship and left wherever I've said that we're going to and we always knew that having Amelia she'd then have to be the priority so mm, it's kind of yeah I still physically feel that I can play and I still wanted to play but it wasn't about me anymore do you think given everything that's happened that was like it's all it's almost timed well to retire I guess because football's changed so much and so quickly over the last sort of eight months that as you, said, you now have time at home with your daughter that you maybe wouldn't have had most definitely I think it has been so amazing to be able to spend that time and although it's been difficult because up we're up north and we don't have any family support um but it's moments you don't get back and some people don't realize until after their children have grown up a little bit more they're like I miss that moment I miss them take their first step their first laugh and we've been there for every second of all of that and that they're special memories and if I had have gone back to football now that she's starting to kind of crawl and chatter away and I wouldn't necessarily get to see that and they're they're things you can't get back they're priceless memories so I think it has made me realize as well how important that is do you think then from your perspective although you've not gone back to play do you think maybe for women it is so difficult because you have maybe that more of an emotional attachment that you, you have the guilt you don't want to leave her and go to work because realistically if you had have gone back say playing for Manchester United you would have started three months ago and 
you know, you're essentially missing a lot of her life. Do you think that's quite difficult for women then now that you're in that position? Yeah, most definitely. I think it's difficult for for women, but I think it's interesting because I kind of had the conversation with um, the, the PFA when, when we were talking about contracts and maternity and it's something that hasn't really been thought of that much. And they said that they have a similar issue with male footballers. If you're a male footballer, why would you have any less right to have paternity than a male working in another environment but if say kind of Fernandez said I, w- I want three months off paternity it's kind of oh gosh <laughs> you can't just disappear we need you on the no, pitch yeah it, it's a really difficult situation yeah. for both men and, and for women mm-hmm. I can confirm that men's footballers do not get paternity <laughs> <laughs> have you got insight have you Helen yeah I can just confirm that that's right. all Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so you grew up in London, um, but you weren't keen on football. I think that was the a bit of jealousy that started football because your brothers were always playing it and you weren't. Yeah, well, I I was always into all kinds of sports. I think I did gymnastics and trampolining mainly as a kid. And um, me and my brothers are really close in age. I think there's like 18 months between the three of us mm-hmm. or something ridiculous like that. My mum must have been absolutely mental. <laughs> Where'd you sit um, in the, in the I'm age the oldest. order? The oldest. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oldest, so most important, obviously. Um, As the third <laughs> born, I would, I would disagree with that. <laughs> I'm fourth, so no one remembers about me. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then they both, I'd never really played football. I never really had an interest. And kind of back, back then, I make myself sound really, really old. Girls and women, it wasn't yeah. really... They didn't really play football, um, but then my brothers started playing and my dad's always been a big Fulham fan and he took them down to the park for kind of junior black and whites and I just I suppose I just got a little bit jealous. I was like, well, you're spending time with my dad down the park. <laughs> yeah. Why can't I come and play? And I went and joined in and it kind of went from there. I mean, some people start playing football and they find out they're ridiculously talented and that definitely wasn't the case with me. <laughs> <laughs> probably why I ended up getting stuck in goal I was going to ask how did you end up if it was a case of you were being jealous and you wanted to join in was it because like I used to take my little brothers to play football and I'd make him get in goal as much as I possibly could but if you were the oldest how did you end up in goal or you just liked it more I suppose <laughs> yeah it's a weird one I never went in goal to start with I used to play out pitch um I didn't play start playing properly until I was about 11 12 and I think when it was a lesson at secondary school and we played hockey and we'd never done hockey before and I've never played hockey since. But I saw that the goalkeeper got to wear all these pads and it looked quite cool. And I wasn't See really, if- yeah, <laughs> I wasn't really a big fan of, yeah, getting whacked in the head by a big <laughs> hockey ball. So I thought, yeah, put these pads, this this helmet on. And I absolutely loved it. And then I thought, oh, why don't I give it a go in football? So the next game that we had, I think it must have been under 14s. And I was playing up pitch at the time. I said, look, I've kind of get bored easily I was like I'll give it a go in goal goalkeeper got injured and I went in, in goal for the second half and and loved it I mean I didn't particularly play very well I don't think and yeah never really looked back after that was this still playing in with the boys or was this a girls team by now no this was girls yeah. I never I never played in a boys team there was kind of the you know your Saturday morning football and your holiday courses where yeah. there was probably me and then one other girl but it was yeah, about under 14s level when, when Fulham had a, had a junior team, yeah. which I joined. I played um, when I was a kid and the best player in my team all the way up, up to under 12s was this, uh, was a girl called Jade. But as soon as we hit under 12s, that was she had to retire. 
because yeah. I, I grew up in a really small town and there were just no options anywhere. But it's amazing that Fulham had that. I suppose it's the benefit of being in London. Yeah, it was interesting because I kind of had that at secondary school as well. It was my year, there were two girls that played, but the year below, so I kind of missed out on it. They were the national wagon wheel five-a-side champions. And um, oh. there were like loads of loads of girls then that kind of got interested in it. So I suppose I was in an area where there were a few girls and it only takes a few to to get that interest but yeah I think I think I was Fulham started to have centre of excellence when I was 15 it was when the FA just introduced all the centre of excellences and so they had an under 12s and under 14s and I was under 15s so I missed out again and then obviously the under 14s progressed into under 16s so I had one year of centre of excellences before I kind of went to open age women's football and I was playing senior level football at 14 years old, which now you you look at 14 year olds, you think there's no way they'd be playing (laughs) even allowed. I think you had to give a fake name to the referee when when you played or if you were getting booked or anything. How often were you booked? I was never booked. (laughs) I think I've only been booked a couple of times in my life. I got booked once for time wasting when we were winning 3-0 after half an hour. I'm like, ref, why on earth would I be time wasting? <laughs> I'm like, really? Did you have that expectation when you were playing at Fulham that this could be something you could do for a long period of time? Or was that not part of your thoughts? No, never. There was. I didn't really know that you could be a female footballer. There wasn't the kind of media coverage or exposure that there is now. And there wasn't as much... Obviously, the league wasn't as good. You've got the, the WSL now. It's fantastic. There's professional teams all the way through. But I just played because I enjoyed playing. One of my friends, she also played. And she was ridiculously talented. She still is. Um, and she got called up to England. And I didn't really even know that there was England yeah. teams or anything like that. And she was we're in the same age group. And she was playing for England under-16s. And that kind of made me think, oh, that, that's kind of, that's what I want to do. Um but always knew that I wasn't necessarily talented enough. And I always remember my mum picking me up from school once and my friend Dina, she'd been called up for England. And I said to my mum, I said, oh, Dina's been picked for England again. And she said to me, she said, well, don't worry. Like, she's good at football. You're you're very academic and that's just how it's going to be. You're, you're, you're good at school. And I was like, that kind of made me, that's always one of those things that stays in your head. And it's like, well, why can't I be both? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that was... Oh, it, that's one that I always kind of remember. At that point, was football your main passion? Because you said you were into all sports. And did you have a team that you that you supported? Were there, were there players and goalkeepers that you looked up to? Once I got to about 14, probably, yeah, probably about 14, 15, when I started playing for the, for the youth team at, at Fulham, I remember the coach saying to me, he's like, look, you need to stop doing everything else. Because I think I'd turn around to him and said, oh, I've really, I found this Taekwondo team. I'm, I'm going to go and try this. He's like, look, you need to stop. <laughs> if you want to take it seriously, you need to just play football. Like it's, I think it helped me a lot having the background of doing loads of different sports when I was younger. I think gymnastics, especially the awareness of how your body moves in, in space and flexibility and movement. I think that's so important. But yeah, I got to the point where it's kind of like, it, it just needs to be football. And yeah, that that was my that was my main thing then. When was the point then that Chelsea became interested in you? Well, it was the year that Fulham turned fully professional. Mohamed Afai had invested a whole load of money well ahead of the curve and he was like, Look, I want I want this to be a professional team. So it was my halfway through my A levels and 
Dina, my friend, she was the first player to sign and she went fully professional. I don't know if I would have been offered a contract with them at all, but I made the choice that I wanted to continue. I wanted to finish my A-levels. There was never really the thought that football could be a career at that point. And I was, as my mum said, academic. (laughs) Um, So I thought, yeah, it was important for me to finish my A-levels. So as Fulham went professional, I I left um, and went and signed for Chelsea. They, They were the league below... No, I think they were in the they were the league below the top league at the time, and um, it was an opportunity for me to play women's football. I played week in week out, and and it, and it was great for that. It was hard to kind of be part of Fulham, and then when it obviously went yeah. big, to then leave that. But I kind of knew it was the right option, and yeah, even looking back, I think it was the right choice to make. Would that have made a difference in term if you'd stayed at Fulham and went fully professional of university then? Yeah, well, I decided to stay and Dina, my friend that signed professional contract, she was also at college with me. So she left her A-levels and then that obviously kind of cuts that out of out of what, yeah. what you can do. And I finished my A-levels and I was really fortunate that the year that I finished, the FA started a national development centre and academy up at Loughborough University. It's the university that I wanted to go to anyway. So I applied, I got accepted to university and could combine it with with training. So I got a scholarship all paid for by the FA, all my accommodation, tuition fees, everything was all wow. all paid for. And I trained every day as well. So it was kind of the perfect, the perfect timing because I turned 18 in, in the August and the academy started in the September. So yeah, so that worked out perfectly and it was their way of kind of stopping players from going to America. Yeah. That England lost every good player to to American scholarships and yeah, it, it's a great experience, but for for the youth setup and for talent pathways it wasn't really ideal. Mm-hmm. What did you study? Um sport and exercise science. And then you did a masters, right? Yeah, then I did my masters afterwards in sport and exercise nutrition and did kind of the FA Fitness Trainers Award, did some teaching qualifications. I think I was at at uni up there for seven years. I definitely got my money's worth in the FA. (laughs) I'll do another one. I'll do this course. (laughs) So yeah, but it was because there wasn't professional football as such then, it wasn't like I'd have to go and find a job and find a job that I could combine them with with playing and it would be flexible enough to do that and it was really difficult so if I could continue studying and kind of progressing along that front while still playing and training at the same time for me it was perfect at the time I'd kind of just got into the England senior squad and yeah it was a great opportunity to 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 have to kind of be in that football bubble but be developing myself at the same Mm -hmm. time. Was there any of um, the girls that you've played with in later years at university with you doing those courses? It was difficult at the time, I found, because I was the only player at the academy that actually went to university. Okay. The others were all, there was a college across the road, so they were doing BTECs, HNDs. Okay. So there were some that were under 18 that were doing um, their A-levels. But I was the only one that went to university. So I think that definitely disrupted my enjoyment and my how I kind of like I didn't have the traditional university experience Experience, but you wouldn't anyway as as an athlete but yeah I found it a bit more difficult because the rest of the girls on on, at the academy weren't having the same kind of commitments academically obviously doing it doing a degree the first first year of the degree of it like it's a bit easy you can kind of just just, yeah just go to university just go to lectures whenever you fancy it really (laughs) but after that it's quite a big commitment and I think Laura Bassett who 
I played with England, she came, I think, I'm not sure if it's the second year or the third year, and she joined over from Birmingham. So she'd done the first couple of years of the degree. So from the, that point onwards, we were both in the same boat and we were both doing the same degree course. So that was really helpful and uh, that 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 was great. But yeah, it, it was definitely difficult trying to combine doing a full-time degree with with the studying yeah. and the, the training as well. I mean, doing some research into this conversation, I feel like perhaps that kind of um, drive and determination and commitment to juggling lots of projects seems to have carried on because you were also, uh, you were lecturing, right? Yeah, I started, I don't know whether it was while I was doing my master's mm-hmm. or after I'd finished my master's, I started lecturing at Loughborough College and um, it was a way of, making some money but also kind of developing myself at the same time and then when I signed for Bristol Academy in the when the FAWSL started that was kind of part of signing for them I had a part-time lecturing job and it it, it was great for me that because I could work because there wasn't the the finance in just playing um to be able to survive but I could be as full-time as you could training alongside it and to be able to well at Bristol Academy it was it was run out of a college so I taught at the college the pitch was right next to it a lot of the students were in the 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 girls academies like the reserve team and it was great that it was all on one site and for my first the first three years of the WSL it, it, it was fantastic it was a team where we weren't necessarily expected to win it wasn't like being at Manchester United Chelsea Arsenal where you're a proper football club and people are pumping loads of money in. It was it was a different environment, but it was probably one of my most enjoyable. And combining it with with teaching was difficult because you're not fully committed, but it was what made it what it was, I think. You, you did a lot in those few years, really, didn't you? <laughs> I'm losing track of all the things that you did. I was thinking that's because I'm going around in circles. Here. I'm like, Where, what year did are we ever, in did now? Did you ever just chill out? <laughs> No, never. It doesn't sound like it. My husband still tells, tells me that now. I think we put Amelia to bed and he's like, can we just watch TV? I'm like, I need to read this. I need to watch this. I need to just that sort the clothes. Like, I just, yeah, I don't sit down very often. <laughs> so when was the moment then that you decided, okay, the studies are behind me. I'm just going to concentrate on the football. I think it was when I when I signed for Bristol in the, the WSL in, it must have been what, 2011, I was teaching alongside that and we were kind of getting more and more professional and I was kind of thinking look I need to be able to commit fully Bristol obviously financially didn't have the money to have a fully professional team at the time and we'd finished second in the league that season we'd lost the the last game of the season to Liverpool and whoever won that game won the league so to finish second was hard the way we did it but as Bristol Academy finishing second getting to the Champions League we got to the FA Cup final that season it was amazing we'd completely overachieved and I felt that at that point it was time I I wanted to move on we were never going to be as successful again as we were then and I had the opportunity um, to sign for Arsenal and it was probably then that that was the first time that I could probably say that I was fully professional and I was what 20 I'd lost track of how old I was. <laughs> it was, yeah, 20, 2014, so I was, what, 31? So that was the first time when I could fully say that I was a fully professional footballer. And now you see all the kids coming in, they're 
just turning 16, 17, yeah. 18. Crazy. I signed my first professional contract. But they don't have three degrees. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> also um, playing for England around then too, which must have been very special. Yeah, well, I'm, I made my England debut when I was 21 and it was away against Holland and we won 1-0 and it was amazing. But it wasn't anything like it is now. Now you've got thousands of people there watching. You've got the media coverage, you've got social media. I don't think I've got a single, I haven't got a single picture of me Aww. playing in that game. Wow. So I've got, I've got the frame share and I've got the, I've got the pennant from the game. And yeah, I've got obviously the memories, but how much it's grown and how much it's developed is incredible way for such a short period of time. When you said pennant, do you mean the, is that the cat, is that what caps are called? No, the pennant from when you, when oh, the captains the, shake yeah. hands and didn't know what that was pennants. called. Cool. Pennant. Everyone listening. We've just learned a new thing. A pennant. That's what those funny little flags them. are. Well, I, I, other people well, might not that's have just called a cap. Yeah, that's a cap. Yeah, well, I thought maybe I think, it had a fancy name. We I think, call it a cap. I think it's a pennant. <laughs> there are still people out there that don't realise you get given a physical hat when you get yeah. a cap and that's why they're called you caps. You don't get one for every game anymore though. I think you get one for every Is life. it, isn't it, um, you don't get them for friendlies maybe. It's No, no, you get them for a thing. I can't really remember, but it's like every 10 or something like that now. What a weird tradition anyway. Well, see, ours hat. has changed. When I first started playing, you'd get one per tournament. So say if you played in the 2015 World Cup, yeah. every team that you'd play against in that World Cup, you'd have the name of that country written around the, the cap. And that's how it was for probably up until about 2015. From 2015 onwards, you get a cap for every game. Wow. And so I didn't realise this at the yeah. time. Because you played 50 times for them, right? Yeah. So you just must have a big box of hats. I do. But at the time, I didn't have many because it was per tournament. Yeah. And I didn't even realise we just hadn't been sent any for ages. We normally, sometimes you just get them sent through the post, which is a bit random. You think yeah. It's not very glamorous, nice is it? Presentation. Um, but yeah, I remember getting this box sent to me and it was full. There were about 30 odd caps in there. What am I meant to do with it? Do you ever wear them out? <laughs> no. I did a um a piece for of like a newspaper piece about me and my medals and as a photographer came around for it and he said, Can you just put it on your head? I was like, No, I look like an absolute idiot, idiot. They're not meant it's for wearing. It's a nice tradition though, yeah, isn't it? It's a weird tradition, isn't it? it? Is. Why do you need a hat for? Are they are they are the caps the same? Like the men's and women's, as in, it's the same type of hat. Yeah, I think they're slightly different coloured. Right. Um, they're kind of like a mauvey, mm -hmm. purpley, ready, burgundy colour. There's no getting away from it. It is weird that you've just got loads of hats. What are you supposed <laughs> to do with them? I never they really are, thought nice about it before. They're, they're, they're a lovely memory to have, yeah. I think, yeah. to pass down to, mm -hmm. to your kids. And I think my mum's very proud of them. She's like, can I have one? Can I take one into work? Aww. I was like, yeah, of course, mum. <laughs> also, if anybody is listening or watching... And mm. was at that game. I presume there was fans. Somebody must have a photograph. I doubt it. There was probably about 10 people there. Well, you never know. It was in Holland in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, I don't even think there was hardly an, even a stadium there, to be honest. <laughs> well, if anybody is listening. What was that like for you making your England debut? It was amazing. It was, I don't know. I don't think I expected to play. It was a double header. So there were two games against Holland away. And it was my first senior call-up so I'd never been with the squad before and Hope Powell was in charge then and she kind of had a well I thought it was a thing that she had where players would come into the squad and they'd have to be there for a few times and come and train a few times before they'd get the opportunity to play so I'd never expected to get on the pitch and then to start and have the number one shirt it was yeah pretty amazing pretty special I actually had to come off at half time because mm. I I had a slight injury in my foot and made it worse during the game so that was quite frustrating but to have the opportunity to, yeah, to make your England debut. And I, I think that's probably why I've got no photos and nobody was there. Because yeah, because you I'd didn't never expect to. to yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say your family weren't there then. No. 
I'll presume if they would, they would have taken a photo. Yeah. That would have been. <laughs> I hope they would. <laughs> yeah. Um, where are we up to? We'll go back to, yeah, Arsenal. You were talking about Arsenal. So that's when you made the decision, and but you were 31 years of age. If you think about the difference in that in the man, in the men's game, that is incredible, isn't it really? 31. Yeah. I mean, goalkeepers go on a little bit longer yeah. anyway. And I think probably because I started playing later, I didn't lose that. Kind of, I didn't get burnt out. Yeah. I think some kids now, they start playing when they're two, three, four. And by the time they get to 12, they've played football for so long, so yeah. many hours. Have they still got the love for the game? Yeah. And I think for me, from having that wider base of athletics and different sports when I was younger, it made me value it more as I got older. And because I'd always studied and worked alongside it, it had never been that full-time career. So once I got to Arsenal and yeah, it was amazing. It was a dream come true. It's like, wow, I'm playing for Arsenal, one of the best teams. And it kind of never turned out to be as much as, as enjoyable as I thought it would be. I never really got the opportunities to play that I felt that I deserved. And yeah, it wasn't the most enjoyable of, of two years. And I struggled quite a lot with, with not playing because at the time I was enjoying football with England my manager at Bristol Mark Sampson had left Bristol at the same time that I did and he took the England manager's position and I got a lot more opportunities it was the same time as the 2015 World Cup which was an incredible experience yeah, Senegal probably yeah. but club wise it was a, it was a difficult time because obviously mm. when you're not playing it's it's not easy and especially if you don't feel like you're necessarily being given one, the opportunities, but two, the explanations as well. I think that's one of the things with me. I, I've always wanted honesty and to know where you stand. If if a manager doesn't think you're good enough, then that's fine. That's that's their prerogative. They're there to pick the team. But yeah. if you don't really get given answers or get given the opportunity to know why you're there and why why you're not in their plans, then that's really hard to take. Was that yeah. the toughest mental, sorry, Sam, the toughest mental hell that you had to overcome so far in your career at that point? Yeah, footballing wise for sure. Footballing wise, yeah. Um, it was kind of, if it hadn't been for me enjoying my time at England so much, then I would have easily thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, it's pointless. What I'm not enjoying it. It's a drain. I think I'd go home and my husband would be like, look, just, just chill out, just forget about it. Don't worry. But you can't. It's if it's everything yeah. that you kind of have trained for. It's your whole day. It's what you've committed to. Like it, it takes over everything. Yeah. I'm sure you know that as well. Yeah. As a goalkeeper, it seems, you know, I've not played the game professionally, obviously, but for a goalkeeper, it seems harder to to get into the team when you aren't the number one choice. Whereas a centre-back or a left-back or, or anyone in the midfield, the, the, the players will be rotated more regularly because I guess they run around a lot more. And there Excuse are more. Me, we work really hard as goalkeepers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, but you see players rotated a lot more on the pitch. But goalkeepers very rarely change. Yeah. So it must be much harder to wait for those opportunities because even sometimes when goalkeepers make a mistake, the thought process that you hear from managers in the media is, well, you don't want to then drop them because you don't want them to lose confidence. So you almost want to back them if they. Which means if you're if you're not that first choice, you're just sort of waiting, and it, I guess it can it can feel endless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's hard being a goalkeeper, especially I've kind of experienced that in the, the the national team. I've been on the bench for major tournaments and it's kind of 
biding your time and you think will that will that time will that opportunity ever come and it is so difficult because as you said as an outfield player you rotate the squad you come on for the last 10 minutes you're not just going to change a goalkeeper for for the second half and you rarely play different goalkeepers based on how you're playing I think I've been given that spiel a few times of we'll play you when when we need someone that's going to have a high line or someone that needs to distribute or if you're playing a different way of playing but ultimately your goalkeeper's your goalkeeper you're not going to change them and no matter how much you kind of can give them a little bit of hope it's not necessarily all that helpful and I think one of the biggest things for me when I was at Arsenal we, we won the FA Cup in 2014 and I'd played in every single game up until the cup final and wasn't told mm. until we got the team announced as we kind of were having pre-match that I wasn't even told they just read the team out and I was like oh, expecting to play because I'd played in every game and we beat Chelsea in the semi-final we beat Birmingham who were really good at the time in the quarterfinal and they were the more difficult games than the final was anyway and yeah that was kind of the pinnacle of it all it was like right I can't <laughs> I can't stay here because it's it's obviously not where I'm gonna enjoy playing football no. and, and be valued it seems so cruel because you would always expect from the outside you would expect a manager to explain that kind of decision because like it like we see with uh, Sergio Romero has tended to play the cup games and now Dean Henderson is playing the cup games and David De Gea gets the rest and in the Europa League final that continued when we won that a few years ago it just seems so unfair that you wouldn't have been told yeah, I think that's that's the biggest thing for me is honesty and, and being truthful to people. If the manager had said and made the decision, I want to go with the other goalkeeper for the final, that's just my choice, then I can't question that. That's I might be upset about it. I might be yeah. annoyed and frustrated, but ultimately that's their decision. Make the decision, but give me the information. Tell yeah. me first. Don't leave me thinking oh, I'm going to be playing an FA Cup final and get there and, and, and you're not. I mm -hmm. think that's a difficult, yeah, really difficult situation to put someone in. Seems unnecessary. Yeah. It's, it's baffling. Yeah. So when did you then make the decision to leave Arsenal then? It was an interesting one. It was at the, I think, relationships between me and the manager started to get a little bit tense. Not that surprising. <laughs> I, always, I always wanted, I think, honesty and I think I'd always question things because I want things to be as good as they can be and I'd always I always have the drive and I don't know whether sometimes it could be seen as me being picky at things or me always what about this what about that but that was the way that I was I always wanted things to be that the best they could be for me and for everyone in the team as well and it was the 2015 World Cup I think we just won the quarterfinals and we were preparing for the semi-finals and um I remember my agent saying, oh, Arsenal have said that they don't, like pretty much saying they don't want you. They want they want to kind of get rid of you type thing. And I was like, is this really the time that they want to have this conversation? Yeah, sure going into a semi-final of a World Cup. Yeah, I, I, I got given that message. And I was like, well, oh my yeah. goodness, bizarre timing. And it just so happened that Carly Telford, who was um, also a goalkeeper at the World Cup, she just dislocated her shoulder. And she was at Notts County at the time. And they had obviously we had the rest of the season as we went back and because it was a summer league then and they were in the FA Cup final as well and had no cover so I went on loan to so it kind yeah. of worked out well for me and for Arsenal managed to get rid of me yeah um 
went out on loan to Notts County for the for the remainder of the season and kind of helped them out and helped me out with some games game time as well. And then from there, it was making a decision of where I where I wanted to play next. And even though you'd had that disappointed experience with Arsenal, were you still you still wanted to go and play the game professionally, or did that kind of put a bit of doubt in your mind? I think because we were on such a high from the World Cup. Yeah, I'd been to going kind of off piece a little bit. I've been to, was it five major tournaments with England and hadn't stepped on the pitch. I'd been second choice goalkeeper for every single one of them. And we got to the 2015 World Cup quarterfinal. Karen Barsley got injured and I came on in the quarterfinal to play my first ever competitive game in a, in a big finals and it was probably one of the biggest games that you could come on in and yeah. we won that game and then went on to win the bronze medal and it was just yeah, football was incredible the the reactions that we got when we got home and the the love for women's football and how much it was growing then it it, it was would have been bizarre for me to be then yeah. like no I don't want to do it it was just the situation I was in at Arsenal wasn't the right situation for me so it was just important to kind of try and rekindle my love for the game really and yeah. find the right place to do that twice for England you had to come on in quarterfinals didn't you that must have been like it's a bit of pressure oh it was the most bizarre thing I think the first time it happened it was like yeah this this has happened the second time I was like you've got to be kidding me I was like she's fine <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there were I played in Vancouver before I played for Vancouver Whitecaps the yeah. quarterfinal was playing played BC place there were 55,000 people there 99% of them Canadians playing against Canada, host nation. We were winning 2-1 and England had never qualified for a semi-final before that. We'd never won a quarter-final. And it was about, I think it was like the 51st minute and KB had got, it was all played on turf, 3G. KB must have got a bit of turf in her eye and had an allergic reaction to it and her eye just puffed up. And I knew at half time that it was a bit sore. So I'd warmed up properly. And then she went down and I was like, oh, this is my my opportunity and yeah we've it was 2-1 at the time we won 2-1 kept a clean sheet and qualified for the semi-finals and yeah it's the most amazing experience um I remember everyone afterwards saying you look like the calmest person in the stadium how the hell were you not like fretting panicking because it was a high pressure situation I think it's always for me it's I've been so committed to training to being diligent in being ready for everything that I was ready for that situation and I remember as a goalkeeper you can't well not I remember as a, goal, as a goalkeeper you can't they can't start the game without you yeah. as an outfield player your manager's always on the side come on get ready why are your mm -hmm. shin pads not on why yeah. you're not on the pitch as a goalkeeper they've got to wait for you so I was like right I could take my time put my shin pads on get my shirt get everything ready so that I'm in the best position to be in, to be confident and to be relaxed when I go on the pitch and then in turn make sure that all the other outfield players know oh, she's fine, she's, yeah, she's, she's relaxed, she's ready to go. And I was getting booed by 55,000 people <laughs> because they thought I was time wasting, which I kind of was a little bit. Is that the time you got the yellow card or did you not no, get it? No, 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 I didn't get yellow card. Um, and yeah, I just had the biggest smile when I went on the pitch because I knew that I was ready. I knew that I'd done everything that I needed to do and I knew that this was the moment that I've kind of been waiting for and was ready and wanted to make sure that I enjoyed the moment as well instead of 
panicking and yeah, worrying and, and it passing me by without really even noticing it. We didn't um, we didn't mention it earlier, but obviously you just touched on it, that before your second spell at Bristol, you spent a year playing for Vancouver. So it, it must have felt pretty special to be back in the city and having that moment. Yeah, I mean, Vancouver is my favourite city in the world. I absolutely love it. Um, it's such a beautiful place. And I had such a such a great, I think it was only about four, four months or so that I was there, but it was such a great experience. Um, we had a fantastic team. I think there's about seven or eight Canadian internationals that were playing on the team with me. And a lot of them were playing in the game in the quarterfinal. So it was, it was tough seeing them so heartbroken at the end because it's your your home tournament you you want to obviously get to the final and for them to lose but obviously the elation that we had yeah. kind of over overtook, overtook yeah. that a little bit <laughs> but yeah it was great to play in a different country and to experience football from a different what soccer mm-hmm. from from a different different place was that a gap year at university when you went there no it was when the before the women's super league FAWSL started so football before then ran in the normal kind of winter through from August through to May time, like the men's season does. And when the WSL started, they changed to a summer league. So when you finish in May, they then weren't starting again until kind of the following right. the following year. So there's a long period of time without having any football. So a few people, I think, went to different places to play yeah. football. And yeah, I decided to go over to Canada uh, and play in their their league over the, over the summer period, which was, yeah, great. Yeah. So back to, I think we're a bit all over the place, but I, I, I think I'm enjoying it. Uh, back to, you went to Notts County, you eventually left Arsenal, you joined Liverpool. Yeah. How did that move come about and, and how did you feel about that move? Because I guess that's what eventually brought you up north. Yeah, I think I got, I got married in December 2015 and it was two weeks later, I think I signed for Liverpool. And my husband worked in London. I kind of said, right, we just got married, but <laughs> see you later about <laughs> moving up north. Um, so yeah, it wasn't the the start to married life that we were expecting. But for me, it was kind of looking for somewhere that I wanted to enjoy playing football again. And Liverpool were investing in their women's team. They had good plans. They just had a, a new manager had just taken over. And I knew a few of the girls up there that enjoyed it. And yeah, it was... I don't know whether I, I've, I don't regret any decisions that I've made as such because every decision you make in turn kind of makes who you are and has made like the experience what it is. And the first season was enjoyable. Like we, it was back to, I played every single game and that was ultimately what I wanted. I wanted to be playing football again, but it kind of got a bit stale. Um, the club didn't really have any ambitions for, the club as a whole had no ambitions for the women's team. We were playing and training on a 3G pitch at Witness. And yeah, it was can't have been very good for my body <laughs> diving on that 3G mm. every day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was there was no connection with the men's team. It was it was quite difficult. I think other than the kit that we were playing in and the name, you wouldn't know that we were associated with Liverpool Football Club. And it was quite difficult seeing how much the game was progressing at the time, but how little care Mm -hmm. potentially there was in the women's team the plans were going through at the time for the new like Liverpool's new men's multi-million pound training facility and there were no plans incorporated to involve the women's team it's baffling isn't it it doesn't make any sense well that's the thing if you've I understand if there's a training 
training venue where there's limited space mm-hmm. and it's never been thought of before then yeah you can't just say well here's here's a women's team you've got to integrate them somehow it's difficult as mm-hmm. logistics and especially if there's like health and safety mm-hmm. and kind of child protection all, all those kind of issues there's so many things you need to think about but if you're designing a training ground from scratch and you still don't want to integrate the women's team into it that kind of gave me the the heads up of look they're not really that interested mm-hmm. in, in their women's team and moving forward is is it going to be somewhere that's going to kind of care about their women's team and I think there were 11 players left I was there for two years and at the end of that two years I think I was one of the first players to leave but 11 players left at the end of that two years and I think it it tells you where the where the team was going and the, the issues that it had not just on the pitch but off the pitch and then obviously the following this season got relegated from the, the WSL at the same time as their um, men won the league. Yeah. It's I don't want to. Obviously, it's Manchester United fans, so everyone's probably loving <laughs> <laughs> loving this negativity like, around this Liverpool. Going. But, <laughs> but I don't want to kind of continue to be negative and to dig them out or anything like that. It just yeah probably isn't is a time where they needed to reassess where they were with women's football and find out is is it where they want to be is it what they want to invest in and moving forwards we'll see this season if they do kind of come back up into the WSL. When did you start to hear whispers that Manchester United were going to build a team? I think it was during that final year at Liverpool there was a lot of talk I think as soon as women's football and football in general is very small and integrated and everyone talks about everything everyone knows everyone and there's always whispers and I think that I can't remember exactly when it was but someone was saying oh I think Manchester United are going to bring a team in so like, that would be amazing um because there'd always been talk and in the media it's always well, why haven't they got a team yet and they should have a team already but I think when I first spoke to to Casey and, and and to United it was really well thought out and it was kind of they didn't want to create a team when it wasn't ready to be perfect it needed to be the right setup the right training ground the right facilities they needed to have the right infrastructure to have a successful women's team not just say oh we need to have a women's team and just have it kind of as a bit part on the side it's got to be done the right way at the right time and and two years ago was the right time I have known Casey for years she was my roommate of England for about 10 years or so obviously played with her at, at Arsenal at Chelsea at Manchester United yeah. well not at Manchester United at Liverpool and then so, so you were thinking to... if she does not phone me yeah, <laughs> I don't get the call now I've definitely done something wrong um no so obviously had a conversation with her before she'd got the job I knew that she was kind of applying for it or had been asked to apply I'm not sure exactly how it worked but yeah said that I was definitely interested she knew that I wasn't happy at Liverpool and was leaving it was a kind of it was a not a difficult choice but at the same time was a difficult choice because at the time Phil Neville had just taken over England and I kind of wasn't sure whether I was in his thoughts or not in his thoughts and to step down a league and to play in the championship for a season, I didn't know whether that would affect my England chances. Yeah. But to join a club like Manchester United with the plans that that Casey had and the club had, it was a no-brainer. It was just yeah. such an amazing opportunity to be part of that 
couldn't really turn down even knowing that you'd be playing a league down for a season. And what was, not that I want to dwell on the Liverpool experience, but you say that Manchester United did it when they were ready. What was the difference in terms of the women's team being integrated in with the men's team? How, how have you found the difference? I think well, probably one of the biggest differences is there's not male staff and women's staff, like staff of the men's team, staff of the women's team. There's just Man United staff. So obviously coaching staff, like the assistant manager, all of that, that's for the women's team. But the media, the the comms, the marketing, sponsorship, all of that kind of side, they're just Manchester United staff. So you're there as a Manchester United player. You're not there as a women's player. You're not kind of, oh, someone's coming in from the women's team and you're just kind of a bit part. Everything's integrated and you see all the media campaigns, the kit launches, um, sponsorship activation the women are involved in everything. And I think that's really important, not just for the club and for the sponsors to to feel that integration, but you feel more valued as a player. Yeah. You feel like you're part of something properly instead of just being a footballer that can say they play for that team. And yeah, I think Manchester United did it so, so well. But yeah, it's, it's definitely probably made other teams realise how they should do things and it's yeah the the game and the league has definitely stepped up a lot over the last couple of years so what was it like when because it was a brand new team and you were a part of that when the team were first together and you looked around and there it was the first Manchester United women's team that must have felt like a special moment yeah I remember um turning up on the first day because um I was friends with a few players already I knew a few of the girls I think it was me, Amy Turner and Martha Harris all turned up together. We're like, we're meeting the car park and we walk over because we had to meet at Old Trafford. Nothing had been announced. It was a few weeks before they were announcing any of the players. And we met here where we met together as players for the first time. We had no idea what other players were turning up. There'd been some rumours mm. like such and such is signing, so is she. And I was like, who's she? I never heard of her. And <laughs> as we turned up, I remember I was like, so the next one, I was like, what's her name? Who's she? And it was kind of, it was such a weird It must be so weird situation. for to turn up and be on the first day of mm-hmm. the job together. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often, I know, does it's it? like being kind of the new kid at school, but, but everyone's yeah. a new kid. And because there were a lot of younger players um, that I hadn't met before, I kind of knew a few names, but I didn't necessarily know all the faces. It was great to come up because we went upstairs into one of the suites and tried all the new kit and did all the sizing and then we had a tour of the ground and yeah it was it was great to meet everyone but it was also quite a, a surreal experience I think Andy Cole did a, did a little chat with us about what it means to play for Manchester United and I don't think until you come to the ground and are kind of given that chat and hear about the history of the club you don't really realise how big a club Manchester United is until you're actually in it you know that if you watch TV, you watch football, you know Manchester United is a massive club. Until you're in it, you don't really realise exactly how big the club is. Yeah. In terms of exposure as well, like all those Canadians that you knew years ago, you're, would be, you and your teammates are now a household name to them, I suppose, playing for Manchester United. That's exposure of the club, isn't it? Yeah, I think everywhere, social media just kind of blew up. It was... It was a crazy time. I think it was in all the media across the world. It, yeah. I think when you see the name Manchester United, 
the exposure and the the connection to it is automatically a draw for all kinds of media even if it's not a story it's still a story yeah even if like nothing's really happened they'll still turn it and make it so that something's happened and I think that was a big learning curve for everyone involved because you've got that pressure especially it was such a young side you've got players that haven't really been involved in football for that long have suddenly got all these eyes on them from across the world, not just across women's football. And yeah, learning to kind of cope with that and the expectation and was probably, it was so important and really good that the, the, the team was integrated so well within the club to enable players to cope with that. I think if it had just been the team just came along, then it would have yeah, been really difficult for those young girls coming into it, but there was such good support and, and protection and social media training, media training, everything that was there to make sure that they were looked after and everything was kind of done the right way. Did you feel an expectation being a senior player and looking at the younger girls? Yeah, I think I've had that for probably the last six or seven years of, of my career because I've been the older player for quite a while now (laughs) I think it kind of crept up on me I never really saw myself as an older player and then I was like oh all of a sudden I was older and then signed for United and a couple of the girls said I think you're as old as my mum is I was like you've got to be kidding me I was like please do not tell me that it's when you start to see other people's date of birth that's when it hits home it's when I see LJ and I think you literally probably could be my daughter (laughs) um but yeah no it's great to be able to have that kind of role to to kind of mentor them and help them kind of enjoy the experience and make sure that they're doing things the right way and they know the value of what they've got because yeah right it's easy to be to say oh back in my day we didn't get this and the kids these days are probably like I'm fed up of hearing people say back in my day but it's it's not even that long ago that's the sad exactly but it's so important that they value what they've got now because if you don't value what you've got now it'll be gone far too quickly and you won't get it for as long as you feel that maybe you deserve it. If you come into this environment and you think that that's what you get everywhere, you're going to have a, have a very, very hard shock when you, when you get released and you're you're somewhere else and you're not getting looked after the way you are at Manchester United. So you finally got to play. So you made your debut in a friendly against Liverpool. Is that right? And then your competitive Debut was also against Liverpool. Oh yeah, I thought you were going to say something else about my debut. You hurt your neck, friendly. right? Yeah, I ended, yeah. Up, ended up on a spinal board going to hospital. <laughs> that must have been a bit scary. It was very scary, actually. I think I'd um, came out to just pick up a scoop up a just a through ball, and Millie Turner was shielding it back, and she'd been pushed in the back by the Liverpool player, and then obviously came on top of me, and then my neck just went all the way back, and I heard it crack oh. loads. <sighs> And kind of went down and you lie there for a second. And then I was kind of thinking, no, I'm, I'm fine. And went to get up. As I went to get up, I could feel the pain down my neck. And then obviously the protocol of neck injuries, they like, won't let me move. I'm like panicking there. All you can see is the sky. Yeah. And I was saying, oh, I think I think I'm fine. I think I'm fine. Just let me get up. And obviously they wouldn't let you. They wouldn't let me at all. And um, yeah, ended up being in the ambulance and because it was a friendly they obviously have one ambulance there and we were playing three thirty minutes or something 
and bless all the girls that were playing the third 30 minutes didn't get to play their debut they didn't get to make oh. their debut because the game had to be abandoned because wow. the ambulance had to go oh. because they oh, couldn't of course so then it should have been something else yeah it, well, right. if it's a like a proper game a competitive game you have protocols and everything but yeah. apparently they couldn't leave me on the spinal board for over a certain period of time I was like you're yeah. damn right you can't leave me yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just lying here just like, like, on the like side of the pitch. we've only got half an hour to go we're yeah, taking a bit there. don't worry I'll let you know what's going on but um yeah I was I was absolutely fine I had a stiff neck for a while but um yeah it was a one way to make your yeah. <laughs> you know, debut yeah was that um because there was a few of you obviously that came to United from Liverpool were there was that game did it I mean, did it feel like, I mean, it's Manchester United, Liverpool anyway, but did there feel like a bit of everybody wanted to win that one? Was it a little bit nasty? Um, no, not really. Not in the, the the friendly. I think it was more kind of a find your feet type game. It was, there was no stadium really. It was just on a training pitch. Yeah. 3.30 minutes. Like it wasn't, it was a training game. So right. you had kind of your point to prove as a player, but it was pre-season. So you weren't really all firing on all cylinders anyway having the first ever competitive game mm -hmm. against Liverpool, that was a yeah. whole different kettle of fish. Um, they were obviously in the WSL. They were an established team. It was our first game. We were in the championship. So on paper, Liverpool were expected to win. Um, we knew ourselves that we had the ability to win and we were so adamant and so prepared. And yeah, we were so looking forward to that game and we knew that we could go out there and win but I think it was good that we didn't have any external pressure on us we had the internal pressure because we knew that we had the ability and we knew that we wanted to go out there and win and I think also the the pressure that is Manchester United and Liverpool you want to get off to a good start and you want to yeah beat Liverpool and to win 1-0 to keep a clean sheet Lizzie not scoring the first ever goal for United women I think there's about 10 minutes to go. Yeah, unbelievable feeling. And yeah, it was such a such a great game and one to start with, not just because it was Liverpool with the whole Manchester United rivalry, but because it was Liverpool and it was who I'd signed from. Um, yeah, made it extra special. Did you all get to celebrate afterwards? Do you know what? I can't really remember after the game. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was probably a bit of a blur because it was emotions running high and really enjoying it and... I think as a team, because it was our first competitive game, we were all so, so excited. And yeah, the the fans were, were amazing that, that day as well. That's probably the first time when we'd had the fans. And I remember signing autographs along along the pitch, along like the, the side of the pitch afterwards. And that was probably the, the first time when we got a taste of what it might be like as a Manchester United player, support-wise. And to have those young girls with their, your names uh, on their backs as well was that a surreal moment for you going to the games and seeing that yeah I think as the the season progressed you saw kind of more and more girls on yeah. social media getting their Manchester United shirts and having players names on the back I think I saw Jess Sigsworth there was someone at the one of the I, I love United events over in China had a Sigsworth shirt and I remember she saw that and she was amazed. She was like, wow, this is this is crazy. Uh -huh. And it is to think that people all over the world know who you are and are supporting you. And, and she following an expensive games. one though, I have I to know. say. Well, I remember <laughs> my um my cousin's little boy is a goalkeeper and he's a Manchester United supporter. And they went on the online store and tried to 
buy a shirt with my name on it and it said that I had one letter too many to be able to get it on on the shirt so he was like can you fix this for me so I managed to get it sorted and and he he managed to get a shirt but yeah it's it's not the most ideal of names to have on the back of a shirt I did actually threaten the um, kit man when I got married that I was going to go double barreled and yeah (laughs) he lost the plot he's like no chance that's amazing (laughs) so for you personally you went 531 minutes without conceding a goal. That must have been an incredible feeling. It was incredibly frustrating on that 531st minute when it when, oh. when they scored. But um, yeah, I, as a goalkeeper, you want to keep clean sheets. And that was one of the things that I think Casey is still really hot on. Like, If you can keep clean sheets, then it's the, the perfect way to build build a win. And it gives you every opportunity to, to get those three points. And it was easier than it would have been in the WSL I'm not going to say that it was the most challenging of games because we were playing the league down and we had a team that was capable of playing in the WSL it wasn't a team that was built for the championship and we won a lot of games comfortably but you still get to the 70th minute of a game and every single defender then wants to be attacking and scoring goals and I'm there shouting like wait yeah. <laughs> I want to keep a clean sheet here can you get back and defend so there were opportunities for, for the opposition to score but to be able to obviously keep that many clean sheets was, was fantastic and a great achievement. And but that would have been, would that have been the 81st minute in the sixth game in a row? That's our mathematician. That is good maths, that is. I'm not it might be wrong, I've not checked it. <laughs> I can't I can't honestly remember. Who who was it against? Was it against? I've blanked that one out of my memory. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. For the best. <laughs> we'll ignore the goals conceded. Yeah, 531 <laughs> is all we're talking about. Did you as a team think that season, when did you start to believe this is going to happen? We're going to win this league. When was that point, do you think? I think before we even started the league, really? we had the belief yeah. and also the pressure to a certain extent that we needed to win the league. The club had invested heavily in in the team, in the setup, in bringing players in. Um, although they were very young players, they were also experienced players. They were all youth internationals, players from Scotland, senior players like myself as well. And we had the pressure that we had to win the league. We had to be in the WSL next season. There was no other option. So I think we knew from the start that that was, that was the goal and that was the target. And we knew that we were capable of doing it. So I don't think that that thought really ever wavered. And then luckily enough, we we did it quite early on. I think we had four four games or so left to go when we got promoted. And yeah, obviously enables you to kind of relax a little for those last couple yeah. of games and enjoy it a little bit more. But you've missed the last yeah. couple of games, didn't you? Because you was an ankle injury. I missed the last game of the season. Yeah. I I didn't play the game before. Um, Emily Ramsey played. I think Casey wanted to give her an opportunity to to play. And then two days before the end of the season, I never injured. I um, landed. I went up and caught a cross in training. Landed on a ball yeah. that was had somehow rolled into the session and my ankle just went over completely and I screamed at the time and then afterwards thought oh it, it's fine it's kind of I was like the pain's gone away now am I being a bit of a hypochondriac here <laughs> um but I completely ruptured one of my ankles the other one of my ligaments the other two had kind of gone it ballooned that's a proper massively. injury yeah it's a proper injury I'll show you the pictures later it's pretty <laughs> impressive um but yeah, to do it two days before the end of the season and then obviously that was the game when we were going to lift the trophy and to miss out on that was was quite annoying. But we'd already won the league and I was still a part of it. I remember jumping up and down on the, the stage when we 
lifted the trophy with my boot on on one foot and there's a picture with Casey kind of looking at me as if yeah. like, can you please stop doing that? <laughs> as if I was going to stack it and injure yeah. myself a little bit further but um yeah it's frustrating but thankfully timing wise it worked quite well because it was the end of the season so I didn't actually miss too much thankfully it can't have been long after that you were pregnant with baby Amelia yeah obviously I don't want to go into the dates I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> no it, it wasn't long afterwards and I kind of I remember when I found out that I was pregnant my very first thought after being obviously excited and telling my husband actually probably before I told my husband I thought oh my god how the hell am I going to tell Casey <laughs> because it wasn't I, I knew that I wanted to have children it wasn't that wasn't a question but I'd never made a decision that that was time that frame, was when yeah. and kind of it was it's a difficult situation as a female footballer kind of you have a short career span but if you want to have children it's kind of how it's logistically it's, it's a bit of a nightmare yeah. we talked and about maternity leave and paternity leave earlier, didn't we and saying you know everybody wants that and everybody's entitled to that but of course as an athlete it's not just the maternity leave afterwards it's everything before because you you can't you can't go and goal when you're six months <laughs> pregnant. No, well, I think the doctor said something to me like, you need the force of something that's going to shatter your pelvis to do any damage in the first 12 weeks. I remember thinking, I don't really even want to think about no. that kind of damage. <laughs> and I faced Leah Galton and LJ's shots. They had probably that kind of force. Um, but obviously, the, I, I was kind of injured anyway, and it was off-season. So those, those first few weeks wasn't really an issue with with, with training wise so I wasn't training anyway but um yeah I remember thinking that I needed to have that conversation with Casey and I obviously trusted her completely like she was she's a really good friend of mine as well as being my manager so it was kind of hard because I was only like six or seven weeks pregnant not very long not very far gone at all and I hadn't told my parents we hadn't told family you don't tell anyone until you're kind of 12 weeks or so but I knew that I kind of owed it to her and the team to let her know because as a goalkeeper especially if she wanted to bring someone else in Mm -hmm. I needed to give her that opportunity and yeah I was remember being quite emotional and very nervous on that (laughs) phone call to her I I needn't have been because I knew that as a friend especially like as a friend she'd have been happy for me but I wasn't sure what her response would have been as a manager but she was she was she was great and said that obviously her and the club would support me in every way that I needed them to be and yeah the club were great with that we can I mean we can talk about this now because you're retired but was it weird having someone who you were such good friends with and you shared a room with and you you grew up with as your manager because there must have been times that she sort of had to read you the right act and stuff I guess um I don't think like she didn't have to do that much to be honest okay. not saying i'm but, any but, kind of model student no, or anything maybe, maybe like even in front of like other but, people and you're just uh, like look at you shouting at everyone no but i think i think sometimes even if it was that she had to kind of have a go at me mm-hmm. it kind of then showed other people that she wasn't making exceptions for me just because because obviously all the girls knew that i was friends with casey as mm-hmm. well but i think Casey has that kind of integrity and I'd like to think that I do myself that you're professional in what you do and you do everything for a reason so if she kind of had a go if she needed to have a go at me she'd have a go at me and players knew that 
that was it was an even relationship across across the board and that I think I'm I I know that I'm professional enough to kind of have those boundaries and know that when you're in the work environment you're in a work environment but you can still be friends with someone when you're away from that um it's obviously easier now that you're out of the environment completely but also being a senior player and being the oldest player on the team it was probably helpful for Casey to have someone that she knew so well and could trust that wasn't not the eyes and the ears in the team that I was going to go and find out everything and, and take it back to her but I was there to kind of be a link between what was happening in the dressing room and kind of I could feed the the vibe back to Casey being like look players are knackered they might yeah, need yeah. like a day they might need it to be chilled out and I think that was helpful for both of us and probably helpful for Casey in her first year in management as well. So when you obviously were pregnant, you did have that ambition to go back and play and you, you spoke earlier on that you didn't. But in the meantime, you worked with the club, maybe doing things that you wouldn't have anticipated doing when you first joined the club. Yeah, so I've always kind of been, well, not always, only for the past few years. I've loved photography I take photos all the time um I used to take my camera on the bus with me when we're going away trips and the girls except would to Holland yeah except to Holland <laughs> <laughs> the girls would get annoyed they'd be like Shiv will you just take that camera out of my face but then five minutes later they'd be saying have you got a good picture of me for Instagram <laughs> so it's kind of a bit half a dozen of one half a dozen of the other but um yeah so I've kind of started taking my camera to training and when I wasn't allowed on the pitch I'd do conditioning inside and I'd still keep up as much as I could but I'd do a bit of the media side of it and then we decided to kind of do a bit of a secondment so I'd go in two days a week two or three days a week to uh, over at Old Trafford and learning how the the media team works and I'd do stuff with MUTV with the content team um social media and it was really it was an eye-opener for me to see how a club runs yeah especially this the size of Manchester United I'd done I'd managed the social media channels for kind of when I was at Arsenal for the women's side of it um when I was at Bristol I'd done some at, at Liverpool so I'd always been kind of keen on doing the social media side of it and how media wise it works within a team but Manchester United was a whole different different kettle of fish and the the size of the, the club was was incredible and to get that experience from not just the women's side of it but the club as a whole was was invaluable and has really helped me with moving forwards and kind of where I want to be I think the timing was interesting as well because it was a time when United weren't the men weren't being particularly successful on the pitch so when you're not being successful on the pitch how it's not as easy media wise because you can't just reel out highlights and goals and pictures and it's not all happy smiles constantly you've got to be very careful about what you what you put out mm. are, you, are, you, are you still putting out the highlights because the people are going to give you criticism we don't want to see these highlights but then if you don't put anything out it's like well if you're losing you still got to put shut yeah it's like it's a hard situation to be in and it was a great environment for me to be in to learn how a media department deals with successes and failures and how you can manage those situations yeah and you've been doing co-commentating yeah how much do you enjoy that yeah it's been it's been great I think after the first couple of games um I think one of them was Leicester and we won 11-0 it was in the cup game and um 
I remember seeing on social media, I got a load of comments saying, oh, you're hilarious. You're so good. We love you. you take no prisoners. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, what have I said? <laughs> but it's nice because especially for MUTV, you, it, it's relaxed. You can, because I know the players and I understand kind of their mindset and what they're going through. It's good to be able to give a bit of insight into how yeah, they're feeling and why they might have made certain decisions um, on the pitch. And yeah, it's good to still be involved. Yeah. So you have hung up your boots, you say. Well, do you think there could be a chance there could be a Paul Scholes in you and you, six months' time, you think, oh. oh. My husband will probably say, <laughs> no, look, you've said you've retired. Yeah, you've that's retired. It. I don't know. I've kind of, I don't want to go back to playing football but not being as good as I know I can be. Okay, I think that yeah. was part of my thing of, I trained for a while over, over pre-season this summer and, trained like twice a week with a club and they were keen on on me signing but training twice a week wasn't going to get me to where I knew that I should be or wanted to yeah. be I don't want to go back and start making mistakes and not be the best that I can be because ultimately you're only kind of as good or remembered by by your last game and if I then start making mistakes oh, she's not very good and then you lose what you've had before I'd rather yeah. step away winning the championship playing in playing in World Cups, playing yeah. in European Championships and, and remember my career for that than coming back and saying, oh, do you remember when she let that one through her yeah. hands and <laughs> in a boggy pitch on a Sunday afternoon when no one was really caring about the game? Yeah. So it's, yeah. although never say never, I suppose. No. <laughs> Have you got, um, I mean, I, I'm sure you do, having talked through your life, I imagine you plan to be very busy but are there things that you want to achieve in, in the world of football at the moment or is it outside of football you look now? Well, I've just started my master's in um, sport and directorship, which is really exciting. Um, the, I've got my first two days of the first two module coming up this week. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting my teeth into that. I think a sporting director role is is something that really interests me and excites me and kind of being able to try to help develop a high performance environment within a team and how you can create excellence and create enjoyment and success is really really important and something that I'm interested in finding out more about and through doing a master's I think it's going to be very difficult um time commitment wise but it's something that I feel I need to challenge myself constantly I think if I'm I love spending time at home with my daughter. It's it's amazing. But I don't just want to be spending time where I need to have other things going on as well to be the best person I can be for her as well as the best person that I can be for myself. And I've got so much knowledge of the women's game. I've experienced so much from the start when we had to pay to play and it was not professional and it was difficult. And now when players have been given everything it's on tv you've got thousands of people you're playing with i've experienced that whole range and to be able to give back and help develop it further and keep the good bits that might be yeah. getting forgotten at the moment and also get rid of the bits which aren't as good and if i can help to develop the women's game further that's that's really important to me will you want amelia to play not a goalkeeper <laughs> <laughs> she actually met one matter when she was 
about three weeks old I think I did a did a piece with one and um I said can you give her a few tips about being a, a creative midfielder because <laughs> I think I'd rather she she got the success and the praise for being a center forward or a midfielder or someone that's gonna get all the glory than being a goalkeeper <laughs> yes I mean, Lee Lee said he wants her to be a, a golfer or a tennis player because they get all the money all, all the glory the yeah. and they're in the nice warm climates and yeah, all in the sunshine sense. so that's a good way to look at it very random, but uh, producer Heidi wouldn't let us uh, finish without bringing this up. How aware were you that you got mentioned in an episode of Doctor Who? I wasn't aware at all. I think it was, I must have been on Twitter and I got a notification of someone saying that I'd been on Doctor Who. And I was like, how, what, what on earth is this all about? And then we must have gone back onto BBC iPlayer and scrolled back and found it. And yeah, it's pretty incredible to be on Doctor Who um but yeah I absolutely had no idea and then all of a sudden my Twitter was blowing up with people saying we've just seen you on Doctor Who <laughs> or not seen me but, but heard your but name, name. Yeah. yeah yeah so I suppose it's a little claim to fame yeah, yeah. <laughs> further proof of the the women's game becoming much bigger than than where it was 10 years ago yeah well I think it was not long after the 2015 World mm -hmm. Cup so yeah there must have been um Maybe, maybe Doctor Who watched the World Cup. Sounds yeah. like it. <laughs> um, Siobhan, thank you so, so much. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Just before we go, though, we always ask for uh, a recommendation. Who would be a good former Manchester United teammate to talk to us on our podcast? Ooh. They're all so young. They've probably got hardly anything to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Casey's an obvious one. I think Casey's done, done quite a lot media-wise, and I think a lot of people know quite a lot about her journey but to be able to have it on a podcast mm -hmm. and to be able to kind of delve into different aspects of that I think you'd have to ask her who her favorite roommate with England was yeah oh, sure anything and if she else, doesn't say me yeah <laughs> we've got problems anything else um, we should specifically ask about Harry Potter great oh, okay we could do that Potter. absolutely obsessed sure but yeah Casey's an obvious one for a, for a great podcast and then maybe Millie Turner she's mm -hmm. She's still young, but she's probably experienced quite a lot. She's been around in the WSL for a while and she'll, she's definitely a character. Excellent. Great. Siobhan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I can't see anyone who won't have enjoyed sitting and listening to that, can you? Mm -hmm. No, it was really, really enjoyable. It's fascinating as well. Like I said that in the podcast, but how late into her 20s her career really got started compared to you think of the men's game yeah but as you say if women's football is coming on so rapidly that maybe in 10 years time that won't be the case no and it's amazing she's like she studied for seven years whilst playing semi-pro and then uh, semi-pro semi-pro and then became a, a lecturer and was still doing it she just did so much and I mean, she's talking now about doing like um, something like a director of sports somewhere. And you ca I can't see us nowhere she doesn't achieve that because she seems so yeah, driven agree, and, yeah. and obviously so academically inclined mm -hmm. that she's just going to succeed at whatever mm -hmm. I think she puts her mind to. Mm -hmm. Also, she she said in the podcast that she would show us the photos of her foot when she landed on that ball yeah, and injured her ankle. They were serious. She really did. Like her whole leg is like purple and swollen. Mm. Yeah, she, she wasn't uh, slow and showing you those photos either no she, straight she away really she was like oh, <laughs> check these out brilliant story and also quite fascinating that she didn't really plan to retire but that's i suppose an issue isn't it with yeah. women that you have a child yeah. to come along and yeah things change Could so. amazing would have them <laughs> here's <laughs> a question for you could you imagine a scenario where a, a, a player that you used to room with 
would end up your manager. Do you think that would work? Uh, no, it's, 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 I don't know. It'd have to work, wouldn't it? It will have happened to a lot of players whenever Giggsy t- took over here, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose so. Yeah. Not sure whether he just remits with any of the. It just seems like it would be difficult to have that suddenly such a serious relationship to to one where you were like mm-hmm. a very even relationship because you're not equal mm-hmm. partners anymore, are you? No. It's funny. It was nice that after the rugby time she'd have it at, had at other clubs mm-hmm. that she got to enjoy, you know, being part of Manchester United team. Yeah. Yeah, especially. Don't want to say too much on that. No, but. she's disappointed <laughs> about, I guess, her experience at Liverpool. Yeah. And to then come and be part of United and it goes so well, it's obviously yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great podcast. Really, really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. Shall we do some emails? Yes, I think we should. Uh, Gary Coghill says, "Absolutely love the podcast. I've followed United since my first trip to Old Trafford. Living in north of Scotland, we used to have to drive to major cities to fly out of our for our holidays. And there's a photo of me outside Old Trafford." Before our family holiday in 1988, after that, we always made a point of going to the ground if we were in the city. And I remember the club shop was a little porta cabin opposite the ground, not the huge mega store it is now. What was the meg- or the shop like when you were playing, Macy? Yeah, it was on the forecourt, just um, the building on the right-hand side, I think it was, because you're coming out of the tunnel, mm-hmm. main tunnel. There'd be that building on the right-hand side. That was the, uh, Not like shop. the Megastore now, though. Oh, God, no. I've loved all the episodes so far. I'd love for Brian McClare to be a guest one week, if that's possible. Um, other players who were at the club during a very interesting period. Clayton Blackmore, Russell Beardsmore, Neil Webb, Gary Walsh, Paul Parker. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much indeed, Gary. Thank you so much, Gary. I've got one from Karthik Baliga. He says, hello, Maisie, Helen and Simon. Hope you're doing well. Mm-hmm. Too many people think my name is Simon. That's amazing. Someone just tweeted us at David May and Helen. When is the next podcast? Couldn't find Simon to tag him in. <laughs> oh my goodness, people are probably trying to search Simon. Brilliant. Uh, I'm Karthik from India, currently in Hamburg, Germany, pursuing my master's studies. I've been a United fan since 2002, but haven't got a chance to meet any of the players. Since I'm closer to England now, I'm planning to pay a visit to Old Trafford to meet Maisie and you guys too, if that's possible. Uh, obviously, Karthik, that would be wonderful, but the... COVID will probably make that difficult in the immediate future, but hey, there's a there's a long life ahead of all of us, hopefully. Well, there's a will, there's a way, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been a real pleasure listening to the United podcast and getting insider stories on the current and ex-players whom the fans have admired and supported all these years. The podcast is so entertaining and a joy to watch, especially whilst cooking Indian food, which consumes a lot of time and also during the lockdown period, which was a nightmare when you're living in a different country and worrying about the family way back in India. I'd love to see Waza and Rio on the podcast. You can get them on. Thanks again for bringing a smile to the faces of millions of United fans and also helping people to overcome depression and loneliness, as you mentioned in a few episodes. Uh, I do hope you read this message message cheers and take care kind regards Karthik Karthik thank you so much I hope your family and everybody is safe in India and I'm not sure we can claim to have um, helped anyone overcome depression or loneliness but hopefully we can give people a a bit of a a relief from a lot of the stress that's consuming the globe currently thank you very much and finally one from John uh, from Dublin Uh, he said I've recently discovered the pod and absolutely love it it's been great to listen to whilst working from home pretty certain over the last two weeks I've worked in inverted commas longer hours whilst binging on the podcast keep up the great work I have been fascinated to listen to all the players stories highlights have been the King and Diego Forlands pod and Maisie's beer machine I was just saying earlier we need to get a photograph of Maisie's beer machine Maybe it could get its own Twitter page. Yeah. Just the beer machine. You need to bring it when we do these in person now. Oh my goodness, it, please do. It was such a feature of the that. podcast. We need it. So funny. Um, if I could suggest some guests, I would love to hear from Sir Bobby, Paul McGrath, 
or Edwin van der Sar, I think each would have a fascinating story from the Busby Babes to McGrath's life story to Edwin in Moscow. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much indeed, John. And thank you very much indeed for everybody listening. That is it for another week. If you want to get in touch, you can email us, unitedpodcast at manunited.co.uk. That address is in the notes for this episode if you need it. Also a reminder that you can watch the box set of all of our episodes of the podcast on MUTV. New episodes air every Friday. We will see you all again next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. See you later. Stay safe.